Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad to have you joining me on another week of broadcast. And today, I'm going to be talking about heaven, our promised inheritance. As I think about heaven, heaven is one of these places that is really indescribable. But we're going to attempt over the next couple of days to give as much description of heaven as we possibly can. I was reading a book not too long ago called The Faith of Elvis Presley written by Billy Stanley, who was the half-brother of Elvis. And in this particular book, he shares the ups and downs of Elvis's walk with Jesus. On a humorous side, he shared that there was an encounter between Elvis and Sammy Davis Jr. It was kind of a funny thing, and also serious in a way. But one time in Las Vegas, he was talking to Sammy Davis Jr., and Sammy noticed that Elvis was wearing a Star of David and a cross necklace. Two things that normally don't go together because they represent two distinct religions, Judaism and Christianity. Sammy said, well, Elvis, isn't that kind of a contradiction? Elvis looked at him and said, well, I don't want to miss heaven on a technicality. Uh, Isn't that where a lot of people are today? They want to throw Jesus on the pile with everything else, hoping that that will get them to heaven. I've got two verses uh, that I want to cover here at the beginning of the broadcast. One is a very popular verse. The other is not so popular, but it speaks volumes as to who will be going to heaven versus who will not make it to heaven. John 3.16, God so loved the world. I love that. He didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. How much did he love the world? that God sent his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, some people think that the Christian message to Christian faith is quite exclusive, but John 3.16 is very inclusive. It says, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so that's the exclusion of the gospel available for anyone who believes in Christ, anyone who puts their confidence in Christ. Now, it is also exclusive in that there's only one thing you can do to keep you out of heaven. Uh, There's not a hundred things that you can do to keep you out of heaven. There's only one thing that you can do that will keep you from going to God's heaven. And Jesus gives us the answer. You're always safe when you quote the Bible and you quote Jesus, right? So Jesus said in Matthew 12, 31, he says, I tell you, every sin, every blasphemy will be forgiven, but, there it is, here's the exclusion, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, as I think about this verse, I'm reminded of Adam and Eve, right? God said, of every tree of the garden, you may partake. Now, if you have a choice, there's got to be a choice, right? In order to have a choice, there's got to be something you can't do. And so God made it just as easy as he possibly could for Adam and Eve and says, you can do anything you want. You can go anywhere you want. You can eat anything you want. But since I gave you a choice, the one thing you can't do is partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God was very inclusive. You can do everything except one thing. You can't partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus does the same exact thing with everlasting life. He says, all you got to do is put your confidence in me, believe in me, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? 
Give all of your support, all of your confidence over to him. Believe in him, right? Put your faith in him. The only thing that will keep you out of heaven is rejecting the Holy Spirit. Now, when I think about this, the reason it is so difficult for us to believe the simplicity of the gospel is because in order to believe the gospel, we really have to humble ourselves. We have to get to the point where we say, I can't do it on my own. Uh, No matter how good I may try to be, I can't be good enough, because if I could be good enough, I would be bragging about how good I am. Now, here's something we must know about faith. Faith is not believing God will do what I want. That's where some people put faith, right? We would call these people the name it and claim it type of people. If you want something, just believe it and God will give it to you. Now, faith is not believing that God will do what I want. Faith is believing that God will do what he has promised. Uh, That's what faith is. It's not claiming that I want something and believing it hard enough because, you know, you will soon find out you cannot have everything that you want. You know, it doesn't matter how much faith I have. I'm not going to be six foot five. I I wish I was, right? Because uh, I have short man syndrome. Uh, I'm five nine. Actually, I'm five eight, I lost an inch as I've grown older. And no matter how much faith I have, I am going to be at the height I am. But I can trust God for his promises. When it comes to heaven, I had the faith to believe that I am going to heaven one day, not because I'm a good person, but because I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he came, that he died on the cross, that he rose again three days later, and I have put my entire confidence in him. Now, as we look at this subject of heaven, I want to do a couple things. I want to talk about an inheritance that we have in heaven. I want to talk about what is that inheritance. I want to talk about who is going to receive that inheritance. And then tomorrow in the broadcast, we'll talk about, well, why does this even matter? Now, as a backdrop, I'm going to give you a passage in Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is giving the Olivet Discord. And Jesus says these words, Matthew 25, verse number 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Uh, So here we see Jesus is referring to the wedding supper of the lamb that's coming. And it's the reason why you and I uh, hopefully wake up every Sunday morning And instead of sleeping in, uh, we get up and we go to church, and and it's the reason why we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations instead of remaining in our comfort zones is because we have a hope, and that hope doesn't rest in us, it rests in Christ, and we realize that we have a heaven to gain. And so Jesus says that this kingdom prepared for you was prepared since the creation of the world. So I want to give you some understanding of what it means to receive an inheritance. Now, the word inherit means, in a biblical standpoint, is that we're going to receive a gift, and it is an irrevocable gift. Everlasting life is the gift that we're going to receive. Now, property or wealth passing down to another person is what an inheritance is. An inheritance goes beyond material possessions And for the believer, it includes spiritual blessings and responsibilities. So I'm going to receive this irrevocable gift based upon the relationship between me and Christ. 
Now, in the Old Testament, God's covenant was what he based his faithfulness on. He would enter into a covenant with people, the Old Testament saints, and based upon that covenant, he would give them an inheritance. In the New Testament, our inheritance is based upon our adoption. We are adopted into the family of God. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he accepted you into his family. You know, when a person is adopted, that person who is adopted into the family has the same legal rights and responsibility as somebody who is born naturally into that family. In the Old Testament, it was the first child that was entitled to receive a double share of the inheritance upon the death of the parent. This privilege was called the birthright. In the New Testament, the term firstborn is often used in reference to Christ. Look at Romans chapter 8, for example, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So we are going to be sharing in the glory of the inheritance of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. Now, my small group on Monday night, this came up as a discussion question. What does it mean that we are sharing in the inheritance with Christ? It means that God gives us what he gives Christ. Now, we don't become Christ, but we learn that we share partially in his glory. Now, isn't it amazing when you think about the fall of humanity and you look at the fall of Lucifer? Last week, we talked about how Lucifer, son of the morning star, fell. And he fell because he was filled with pride because he wanted to be like the Most High. Adam and Eve fell into sin because they wanted to have knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to be like the Most High. They wanted to receive glory that was not theirs. They wanted to receive glory that was only for God and God himself. Now, when a believer goes to heaven, part of our inheritance is that we will be glorified together. Now, this is not me saying this. This is Paul saying this. So, I want to be careful how I say this because there's a lot of people who think that I will get this glory here on the earth. Now, you can't handle this glory here on this earth because we still have a body that has got a sinful nature. As a follower of Christ, we have two natures. We have the old Adamic nature, the nature of Adam, and then we became a new creation. We have the nature of Christ. When we get to heaven, we will have a glorified body. And that is part of the glorification process where it says that we will be glorified together with Christ. Now, don't miss part of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. The glorification part is a future event that takes place in our inheritance in heaven. The suffering time takes place here on the earth. So here's Paul's reason. This is the way he's going with this. He's saying, you know, when Christ came on the earth, he was still God. He was God in flesh. And he came and he suffered. Well, we are here on this earth as followers of Christ. We must expect, we must anticipate, we must prepare for the fact that we will face suffering. It says, indeed, we suffer with him, with Christ, that we also may be glorified together. So when we look at this wonderful gift, this inheritance that we have, we as Gentiles, right, if you're listening to me, and you're not a Jew, then you're a Gentile. The Gentiles should follow heirs of the promise of Christ, says Paul, Ephesians 3, 6. So that is reminding us that we should be walking around 
not doomed and not gloomy and not despaired and not depressed because we have a great inheritance. You know, one of the things I love about Christmas, I love, it seems like the anticipation of Christmas is almost as joyous as Christmas itself. Don't you look forward to the days preceding Christmas and all the festivities? And it seems to me in the month of December that people are in better spirits in the month of December because it's the holiday season. Well, as believers in Christ, we have an inheritance. Part of that inheritance is given to us now, but we should be filled with joy knowing that our future gets better. You know, if you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to worry about hell. The only hell you're going to experience is right here on this earth. For us, our best life is going to be in the future. Our best life is going to be in heaven. That is where our citizenship is. We are just sojourners passing through. Now, if you don't know Christ, the only heaven you're going to experience is right here on this earth, because your future life is not going to get better. That's why I so want to try to compel you to become a follower of Christ. Put your faith and trust in Christ. He will give you everlasting life. He will forgive you of your sins. He will make you a new creation. That old life will be gone away with. All things will become new. Oh, you're still going to have some problems. You're still going to have some setbacks. You're going to still have some discouraging days. But the future is bright. So knowing that we are heirs of Christ, knowing that we have a future that is in heaven, you know, that ought to positively impact all aspects of our lives, because we know what the future holds. You know, you think about uh, running a race. For a long time, when I was in high school, I ran cross country, and I played baseball in the spring, in the summer, and in the fall, uh, I would run cross country, and uh, I threw the javelin a little bit, and I did that, cross country especially, so that I could keep myself in shape. And uh, we would run mile after mile after mile. And I remember on race day, Uh, You'd be running this race, and uh, you would look forward to the end, right? You would look forward to hopefully placing in the top six so that you could give points to your school and hopefully win the meet, right? And so you would look forward, and you would, with anticipation, look forward to the end of that race. So you would push yourself real hard because uh, you understood the race. Most of the races were three miles long, and uh, you would work out by running 10 and 12 miles, and so that on race day... You were so familiar with the pattern of what you were going to do. Uh, you're going to start off pretty steady to the first mile, and then you're going to increase that speed for the second mile, and then you're going to give it your all on that third mile because you knew that the end was very near. Now, you didn't start out giving your all. If you did on that first mile, you'd have no steam left for the second and the third mile. So you actually would increase your pace, and this is how you would defeat your enemy, right? A lot of people would start off real strong, and then they'd get a cramp or they'd wear themselves out. They'd burn themselves out and they'd never finish the race. Or they would be so dehydrated or so drained that they would go real slow toward the end of the race. As believers, when we think about the inheritance that we have, we should be picking up the pace the older that we get because we have more stamina. We've been walking with the Lord all these years. And so it ought to impact not only our day-to-day walk, but it ought to impact our marriages. Look what Peter said to husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, now husbands, now this verse is kind of convicting, okay? Let me read it slow because um, I really want this verse to sink in. Okay, husbands, in the same way, be considerate 
as you live with your wives, and entreat them with respect as weaker partners. Now, Peter is not insulting women by calling them weaker partners. A better word would be as fragile partners. Now, you think about something that is very expensive, but yet very fragile. Let's say you have a beautiful vase, right? And it is worth a lot of money, right? You paid a lot for it. It's delicate. It's beautiful. And what do you do with that vase? You treat it with respect. You don't throw it in your garage in the bottom drawer of your toolbox. I know you put it somewhere where it's going to be safe, where it's going to be protected. You're going to put it somewhere where people can see it. And you're going to treat it with respect as a weaker or a fragile vessel. The same is true with how we should be treating our wives, right? They are very valuable, although they are very fragile. And Peter says that they are heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. Has it ever occurred to you that your wife, just as you are, is also going to receive an inheritance, the gracious gift of everlasting life? And so Peter says that if we don't treat our wives with respect, that we will have our prayers hindered. I was talking to a man not too long ago, and he, and he told me he was really struggling in his prayer life. And I asked him, I said, are you sure the problem is with your prayer life? He said, what do you mean? I said, when I think about prayer, prayer is not just praying. Prayer involves the whole part of our lives. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the power of prayer and what Jesus says about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. But when I think about prayers that are hindered, Oftentimes, man, our prayers are hindered, and it's not because we don't know how to pray. It's because we don't know how to get along with our wives, and we're not showing them the respect. And as a result of that, our prayers are hindered from being answered. Now, when you think about the inheritance that God has for us, I want you to know that this inheritance was not an afterthought. God didn't say, okay, um, mankind messed up. Let me come up with a plan for their redemption. And, uh, and once I get them redeemed, oh, maybe I should give them inheritance along with us. That's not how it happened. You know, the Bible is filled with references to the inheritance that believers have in Christ. Let's look what Ephesians says about this inheritance in Ephesians 1.11. It says, in Christ, we haven't obtained an inheritance. Now, don't miss this next line. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I'm going to give you some more verses on this in just a moment. But when you think about predestination, God doesn't predestine us to hell, but he does predestine those who put their faith and trust to heaven. And it says that we have obtained an inheritance. God gave us this inheritance before the foundations of the world. And God is working according to his will. Now, other passages that mention a believer's inheritance includes Colossians 3.24, where it says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So now Paul talks a little bit about the motivation behind our service. Now, we're not serving the Lord to receive inheritance. It's kind of like salvation, right? We're saved by grace through faith alone in Christ alone, but that grace is that faith is never alone, right? 
Because verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says that we are his workmanship created for good works. So I do good works not to receive salvation, not to obtain salvation. I do good works because I have salvation. It's an overflow of what Christ has done for me. The same is true about the inheritance that I have. Because I have this inheritance, I am serving the Lord. I'm not serving the Lord to gain that inheritance. Now, when we think about inheritance, there's a difference between a reward and our inheritance. There are rewards that the believers are going to receive in heaven. The Bible says that we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Bema judgment of Christ. All believers will appear before that. But that is not a time where we're going to be judged for our sins. The Bema judgment is when we're going to be judged based upon what we did with the gifts and the talents that God gave us. Now you think about the gifts that God has given you. If you have the gift of teaching, if you have the gift of administration, whatever your gift is, has it ever occurred to you that God has given you that gift and he's going to be basing his judgment upon you on how you handle that gift? Did you use that gift to build up the body of Christ? If you have the gift of teaching, there are people in your congregation that need to hear what you have to say. If you have the gift of administration, there are people in your life who need your help in getting things together. You know, as you think about these gifts, if you're gifted the gifts of mercy, you should be spending time visiting people in a hospital. You should be spending time visiting people who are incarcerated, visiting those who are sick, visiting those who are elderly. If you have that gift of mercy, you ought to be working with children. It takes a lot of mercy to work with kids, right? When God is going to judge us in heaven, he's going to say, okay, I gave you this unique talent, this ability. What did you do with it? That's reward. Inheritance is based what Christ has done for us. Paul says in Hebrews 9.15, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So our inheritance in one word is God. It is heaven. It is the sum total of all of God's promises. So you can go to the bank on the fact that God promised us salvation and God promised us an inheritance that comes with salvation. So we talked about what is an heir, talking about our inheritance. Let's look at the subject of who is an heir. Well, anyone who becomes a child of God is heirs through faith in Christ. Let's look what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So that's how we become children of God. We're not automatically children of God. Not everybody is a child of God. It is only those who are in Christ through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, in Christ is how I become an heir. So, I want you to join me tomorrow because I'm going to wrap this up by asking the question, why does this matter? So what if I'm an heir? Does it really matter if I have an inheritance in heaven? So join me tomorrow 
as we look at this. And we're also going to be looking on the, the subject of heaven tomorrow and what heaven's going to be like based upon God's word. We don't have a full understanding of what heaven's going to be like, but God's word certainly gives us a lot of indication of what heaven is going to be like. So please join me tomorrow for that. In the closing minute that I have, we have an amazing academy called Hickory Ridge Academy. And I would love to encourage you to enroll your student in Hickory Ridge Academy. And we're expanding our academy. And so if you have a student that is interested, we would love to talk to you. A great opportunity for you to get your child into a good Bible-believing Christian education. We're also looking for staff. If you are gifted in teaching, if you love the Lord, you love kids, why don't you give us a call and we will set up a time to interview you, to invite you to be part of our staff, an amazing group of people that we have at the Academy. So the number for the church is 757-421-7500. And you can ask for Jeannie or you can ask for Sherry. If you have any questions about Hickory Ridge Academy, whether it is enrolling a student Uh, getting information about the school, or if you're interested in a teaching position or even an assistant teaching position, we would love to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you. I look forward to part two tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.